Christchurch, New Malden, 25th of July, 2021. Ruth Henson speaking in the series, Hope Amidst the Broken Signposts, The Yearning for Freedom. So, as we've heard, the broken signpost we are focusing on this morning is freedom. And, as we've already seen, despite the fact it's something we can all relate to yearning for, it's also a pretty complex concept. I guess that if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's to appreciate the freedoms that we previously took for granted. The freedom to leave our homes, to visit our friends and relatives, to hug people, to worship together in person, and so much more. I even witnessed the children in my class realising for the first time what a freedom and privilege it is to be able to go to school. But we understood that the restrictions to our usual freedoms were for the purpose of gaining another freedom, freedom from the dangers brought by COVID-19. As we've moved through the different lockdowns, easings, roadmaps and tiers, we've had dangling in front of us the longed-for carrot of Freedom Day. But when it finally came on Monday, it was a double-edged sword, wasn't it? Some people were straight out celebrating and hitting the nightclubs, choosing to exercise their freedom to ditch their masks and no longer keep their distance. But for others, it felt like it was the complete opposite of freedom, overcome once more with anxiety, given the current statistics, or fearing the consequences for them due to their vulnerability or suppressed immunity, and resorting again to shielding. I read someone suggesting that Choice Day would be a better name than Freedom Day, because we now have the choice as to whether to wear a mask or keep to a safe distance but we should make those choices considerately and respectfully, bearing in mind the feelings and circumstances of others. The singer-songwriter Billy Bragg took to Twitter to quote his own lyrics, freedom is merely privilege extended and less enjoyed by one and all, as he pledged to carry on wearing a mask to protect others. That's why so many supermarket chains transport operators and others have decided to carry on encouraging or requiring mask wearing. And it's why we're sticking to the same arrangements for the time being here at Christchurch, so that everyone can feel free to join. With freedom so much at the forefront of our minds, it is timely that it's our focus this morning. In his book, Broken Signposts, Tom Wright states... The desire for freedom is a God-given instinct implanted in all image bearers. The God who made us wants us to be free. Now, if I went down the high street and asked people whether they agree that God wants us to be free, I think I'd be met with quite a surprised and contradictory reaction. For people with no experience of a relationship with God, who probably equate God with their understanding or assumptions about religion, God may well seem like a killjoy, 
piling on the rules and restrictions to spoil people's fun and demand that they live a limited and constrained existence, pretty much the opposite of freedom. And yet, without wishing to go down the path of debating free will and predestination, we are created with the freedom to choose. God could have made us like robots who were programmed to love him and follow his ways. But instead, he made us for relationship with him. And if we had no choice about it, the relationship would be one-sided. Tom Wright says that freedom is the central story God wants for people. And right from the opening chapters of Genesis, we see this to be the case. Adam and Eve have amazing freedom in the Garden of Eden. Freedom to enjoy an intimate relationship with God. Freedom to enjoy God's wondrous creation. Freedom from shame. Even freedom from death. But, as I just mentioned, they were not created as robots. They were created with the freedom to choose. And they chose to reject the instruction they had been given to safeguard them and in doing so, lost so many of the freedoms they had previously been enjoying. Like Adam and Eve, or people who think of God as the ultimate killjoy, it's easy to confuse having rules to follow with losing our freedom. But let's look at it a different way. This is Marcelo Bielsa, football manager of mine and John Cook's beloved Leeds United. His nickname is El Loco, or the crazy one, and he runs a very strict regime. The players have to maintain incredibly high levels of fitness, stick to the patterns and style of play that Bielsa believes in, and train using the highly demanding and relentless murder ball technique. But under his leadership, the players have been transformed from relatively ordinary to realising the potential Bielsa saw within them. On the pitch, they play with a fluent and majestic freedom, which has been applauded by opponents and neutrals alike. Or, if football is not your thing, how about an example from the world of music? Have you ever heard a musician improvising? Perhaps a soloist in a jazz band or a pianist extemporising before an event like a wedding begins. Now imagine that it was someone who had never studied that instrument, who didn't know the rules of keys and chord progressions and so on, who was improvising that solo or musical filler. The words dissonance and cacophony spring to mind. It is only because of the hard work that has gone in to learning the rudiments of music the scales and arpeggios, that they are then able to enjoy the freedom to create something beautiful within the rules, which have become second nature. When you buy a piece of flat pack furniture from Ikea or wherever, it can be very tempting to disregard the complicated looking pictures and trust your instinct in a, into how to put it together. But you invariably end up with mysterious leftover pieces or wonky joins, which could have been avoided if you trusted and followed the maker's instructions. 
If we believe that God is our creator and that he wants the best for us, then how much more should we trust and follow our maker's instructions, accepting that they are designed to free us to become the people God created us to be? We shouldn't be surprised that the concept of freedom can seem contradictory or counterintuitive, because that's the case in the Bible too. Take the famous story of the paralysed man, lowered through the roof by his friends to be healed by Jesus. By outward appearance, it seemed that the freedom he desperately needed was from the physical limitations of his paralysis. But to Jesus, it was clear that the freedom he needed most was forgiveness of sins. So he addressed that need first. And surely, Jesus' incarnation, ministry and mission is the most glorious example of this. He left the freedom of the splendour and majesty of heaven to be constrained by the frailties and vulnerabilities of a human body, even being born as a tiny baby. Tom Wright puts it like this. Jesus himself was the most free person who has ever walked the earth, and his freedom led him to crucifixion. So far, in our thinking about freedom and the Bible's take on it, we've yet to mention what is probably the most obvious event and theme, and it's certainly the one that Tom Wright reflects on most in his chapter on freedom in Broken Signposts. I'm talking about the Israelites' exodus from Egypt at the time of the first Passover, the festival which was then inaugurated, and the references to the Passover within the Gospels, and John's Gospel in particular. God's people have endured increasingly oppressive slavery in Egypt, and God hears their cries for mercy and sends Moses and Aaron to beg Pharaoh for their release. A succession of plagues fails to change Pharaoh's hardened heart until finally the plague on the firstborn sons convinces him, at least temporarily, to let them go. The Israelites are safeguarded by following God's instructions to paint lamb's blood on their doors and death passes over their homes. Pharaoh soon changes his mind once more and sends his army after the fleeing Israelites. But God makes a way through the Red Sea to safety on the other side. He then provides special bread called manna to sustain them in their wanderings in the desert, despite their grumblings and ingratitude. This rescue is commemorated annually by Jews in the celebration of the Passover festival as they eat a symbolic meal to remember the bitter experience their ancestors were subjected to and the amazing way God protected and liberated them. But as Christians, we should also see the events of the first Passover as a foreshadowing of Easter and a promise of a greater freedom from slavery that was yet to come. In John's Gospel, he records three Passovers which took place during Jesus' ministry. The first is in John chapter 2, right at the start of his ministry, 
when Jesus clears the temple of the cellars and stalls which have turned it into a marketplace. He is freeing up God's house to serve its purpose as the place to draw close to God's presence. He also talks about being able to rebuild the temple in three days, looking ahead to the triumph of his resurrection. The second Passover which John records is in John chapter 6, and the echoes here are getting louder and louder. Firstly, the disciples who are in a boat on the lake see Jesus walking towards them on the water, and John wants us to draw the comparison with the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. Then, the crowd question Jesus, asking for a sign like manna which Moses gave to the Israelites in the desert. Jesus corrects them that it was God who provided the manna rather than Moses, and then declares, I am the bread of life. He goes on to foretell his death and resurrection, explaining that any who eat his flesh and drink his blood will have eternal life. But this is incomprehensible to many, and they take their leave of Jesus. Then, the third Passover is to be found in John chapter 13 onwards, where Jesus shares a last supper with his disciples and is then betrayed by Judas and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The resounding echoes of the Passover permeate through the whole of the Easter story. The crowds have turned against Jesus because he is not the Messiah they were hoping for. Their priority is to be released from the oppression of the Romans, just as their ancestors cried out to be rescued from Egypt. But as with the paralysed man, Jesus knew that forgiveness, redemption and restoration was humanity's deepest need. The scene where Pilate encourages the crowd to allow Jesus to be freed, but they choose to save Barabbas instead, is another reminder that the Passover is being celebrated. The Romans granted the release of one prisoner as a token celebration of the Jewish festival. But Jesus was never going to be the one to be released because he has submitted to his father's will and is fulfilling his role as the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the fulfillment of that first Passover. The promise of a greater freedom from slavery, our slavery to sin and death, is being fulfilled in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. In our reading in John 8, the Jews speaking to Jesus seem to have selective amnesia. The enslavement of their ancestors in Egypt and the subsequent exodus was a story passed from generation to generation and as we've seen, was celebrated annually at Passover. Yet, when Jesus tells them, the truth will set you free, they are quick to retort, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? If they are proudly overlooking a great chunk of their history, Jesus knows that they are certainly not likely to acknowledge humanity's slavery to sin. So he makes the point that a slave is not a permanent member of a family, but a son has an eternal place 
Therefore, the freedom won for us by the Son of God is freedom indeed. So, we've considered the complexities of the concept of freedom and recognised Christ's death and resurrection as the fulfilment of the ultimate freedom promised at the first Passover. But what does that all mean for us in 2021? Firstly, acknowledging how broken freedom is as a signpost in our world, we should aim to be signposts ourselves to the freedom which is available to all in Christ. As we reflect God's transforming and redemptive love, our words and our actions should bear witness to the liberation we experience thanks to Jesus' sacrifice. This freedom might result in a peace in the midst of difficult circumstances which is noticed by others, or a willingness to serve, or a love which reaches out beyond our comfort zones. Let's ask God to help us to point others towards the wondrous freedom he offers. May they see in us that if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Secondly, let's heed a warning from the example of the Israelites after their rescue from slavery. In their wanderings in the desert, they often failed to cover themselves in glory, complaining and grumbling to God via Moses, and even sometimes wishing they were slaves once more in Egypt. Probably one of their lowest moments comes in Exodus 32, where they made an idol in the form of a golden calf while Moses is meeting with the Lord on the mountain. How ready they are to swap one kind of slavery for another and become enslaved to idolatry. Now, we might not go round melting down our jewellery into the shape of an animal, but idolatry takes many different forms. In Galatians 5, Paul warns his readers to stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For them, the danger is to add extra requirements onto faith in Christ and to put their trust in them instead. Idolatry is when someone or something goes from being a good part of God's good creation, which we appreciate and enjoy, to being the person or thing which calls the shots in our lives, which starts demanding sacrifices. Perhaps our job or ambitions is taking number one spot. Perhaps it's a relationship or the need for one. Perhaps it's the desire to have the latest gadget or to keep up with the Joneses. Perhaps it's our image or following on social media. Let's ask God for the wisdom and discernment to realise when someone or something has become an idol in our lives and the strength to resist the temptation to swap one form of slavery for another. And thirdly, Let's remember that idea I mentioned right near the start of Choice Day being a better name for last Monday than Freedom Day. Later in our reading in Galatians 5, we heard Paul say, 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. This obviously doesn't just extend to mask wearing and social distancing. We need to ensure that the way we exercise our freedom does not have a negative impact on others and conversely use our freedom to bring about a positive effect for others instead. Choices we make about the food we buy and eat and the fuel we consume, the support we give to end modern day slavery and trafficking, the stand we take against discrimination and injustice, and the practical acts of love we undertake to bring liberation to those around us. These are all ways in which we can choose to bring more of God's gift of freedom into the world. Those of us of a certain age, Tim Davis, I'm looking at you, will remember the Christian band Fat and Frantic, their biggest hit, believe it or not, was a song called Last Night My Wife Hoovered My Head. Look it up on YouTube if you don't believe me. But they also sang some far more meaningful lyrics, and I'd like to conclude with some lyrics from their song, Freedom is a Sweet Word. Freedom is a sweet word, a taste to savour, say it loud. Exercise your freedom. Freedom means you are allowed to make and guard your pile against the people who have freedom to do as they please, but haven't used it so constructively as you. You know that freedom is a sweet word, but freedom without justice is a freedom for a few who have bought the right to tell us that their freedom lie is true. Freedom without justice grows up into slavery, if you're not a Barclay card-carrying member of the free. Freedom is a sweet word. It shines and glistens like a star. But where's the joy in freedom when you're free to obey the colour bar? You're free to starve and free to die and free to do anything but express that Jesus never gave to anyone the freedom to oppress. <laughs>